when, um, when the Apostle Paul sent his message to the Corinthians, towards the end of that letter, he said, um, I passed on to you as if it was of first importance what was also passed on to me, that Jesus Christ was crucified and that he was buried and then he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul believed that that message about Christ was crucial. That, that it was very much at the center of everything else. And, and you read 1 Corinthians and you get to chapter 15 and you realize that he has spent all this time dealing with the hot topics in the church. Dealing with the things that they thought were going to keep them alive and keep them going and things that they had to get settled. And right at the end of it, he tells them that this message that was given to me, that I've given to you about Jesus Christ being crucified, buried, and died, that is what's crucial. That's of first importance. So I really hope that you uh, hear these words that I... uh, I feel fortunate to read this to you. I'm going to be reading out of Luke 23. This is Luke, who's gathered eyewitness accounts from people who saw this with their own eyes. People who may have even risked their lives because they witnessed this. People who may have paid the ultimate price because they were confessing this later on in years. And now here's Luke writing all this down so that generations yet to come will not forget this crucial message. Now, that's certainly worth our time to listen to, isn't it? Why don't you pray with me? Because I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm worthy to read this unless we pray first. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that servants such as Luke and servants like the eyewitnesses gathered these things up and understood how important these are and shared them with others because here is the good news that saves. Father, be with me as the reader, be with us all as the hearers, and I pray that we may do your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Beginning in verse 26. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him, and they put the cross on him, and they made him carry it behind Jesus. And a large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. For the days are coming when people will say things like, those who never had children are fortunate. Those who've never nursed children, they're the fortunate ones. People will say things like, begging the mountains, fall on us, and pleading with the hills, bury us. Now if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? There were two others, uh, both of them criminals, bandits, rebels. They were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to a place that was called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. 
The criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too. They offered him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it. Save yourself and save us too while you're at it. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God even when you're being sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. By this time, it was about noon. Darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. And the centurion, the Roman officer overseeing the execution, saw what had happened. He gave praise to God and he said, surely this was an innocent man. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow, pounding their chests. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching all of this. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate. He asked for Jesus' body, and then he took the body down from the cross, wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, and and he laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of the rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. And as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb where his body was placed. And then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested on the Sabbath as required by the law. There's a significant event unfolding at Skull Hill, as Luke tells us this. The eyewitnesses to this event have told their stories to Luke. Luke sees how it fits in with the scriptures, like Isaiah, especially Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Psalm 31 is there, Zechariah 12, Hosea chapter 10. All of these prophecies and these words from the the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, are resonating in this moment because important things in the cosmos have come together at Skull Hill that day. There's a significant event unfolding. And even though we want to jump 
to the resurrection and say, it's all going to be okay, we need to pause and ask ourselves, what is crucial about this event? Three observations. First of all, Jesus is unjustly mocked and insulted. He's he's taunted by different groups, the the Jewish leaders who, who scoff at him, the people, the crowds who insult him and humiliate him. Even the soldiers who are about the business of the execution are adding to the suffering with insults. And even one of the others, crucified next to him, is saying it. But did you notice that the, the, the core, the gist of their insult is essentially the same thing? All these different groups at different places. Some of them in power, some of them in the same spot as Jesus. They all keep saying the same thing. If you are who you say you are, save yourself. Why is that an insult? Is it their attitude that makes it an insult? Perhaps. They're saying this because they want to be confident that they are right in going about this crucifixion. It was ultimately the crowd that tipped the scales and had everyone involved decide that Jesus should be crucified. And boy, they need to be right right now. They need to be right. Because A, if they're not right, they've just tortured an innocent man. But more than that, if they're not right and he's right, they have just killed God's Messiah. They have killed God's chosen king. That doesn't go well. So they'd better be right. And they're convinced that they're right. And so why not make a joke about it? Why why not laugh about it? I mean, you know, if he is who he says he is, then uh, he can save himself. I mean, they're thinking, why wouldn't he save himself? If he is who he says he is. He's the strong leader. He's the powerful one. He's the chosen one. This insult of theirs. Save yourself. That has been and it continues to be. The great lie. Given to humanity. And it's the great lie that we keep lying to ourselves about. Over and over again. We tell ourselves that we can save ourselves. You're going to be told that this Tuesday you can save the world by casting a vote. Hear me rightly on this. I think it's important that you vote. And I think it's good government. And I think it's democracy. And I particularly like democracy. And when you see or have lived in a place where they don't have democracy, you don't take that for granted. It's good. It's right. But it will not save you or the world. No, it can't. And we'll be convinced that we can save ourselves or we can save Arkansas if we get it right. Or we can save the United States or or we can save our culture if we get it right. Oh, and then election season will pass on by and we'll have the same problems that we've always had. Then we'll be told again that we can save ourselves. We can prepare for doomsday. We can prepare for when everything 
goes bad. Do you remember, some of you won't, because it's been that long now, something called Y2K. Yeah, see, we're laughing now. But I assure you, in December of 1999, some of us were just a little bit nervous. Nowadays, that might be kind of a blessing if all the computer systems in the world broke down. I don't know. But there's always something, something else that's going to doom us. The planet's going to fall apart. The ecosystem's going to go away. The ozone layer's going to disappear. Something. There's something, and we've got to save ourselves. We've got to save ourselves. But, but, but that's okay. If everybody else can't save themselves, you can save yourself. Why? Because we're Americans. And you can make of yourself whatever you want. We can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We can make a name for ourselves. We can be successful. We can achieve great things. We can save ourselves. So we demand rulers and leaders who are strong enough to save themselves. We really do want the strong man who's powerful and doesn't embarrass us and can take on anyone. We want that as our leader. This is why people in the Soviet Union respect, well, I guess it's Russia now, sorry. I guess that's why people in Russia respect Putin. Because he's strong. He, he does judo. He, he rides a horse without a shirt on. He, he's tough. He worked for the KGB. But when you have enemies, that's the man you want as your leader. He can save himself. But I know I'm talking about the world. And we don't do such things in church. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, or do we? That we're drawn to a strong church. That we want a church that will be popular. We want a church that will draw people in. We need to have the best. We need to have everything perfect. We need to have everything right. Why? So people will come in. We need to have a strong preacher. We need to have a passionate preacher. We need to have a preacher who can bench press 600 pounds. We need need to have a preacher who, whatever age he is, always looks like he's 35 and has perfect hair. And I can assure you that's one thing right now you will not get here. But listen... We all fall into that trap. I do too. Thinking that the things that we do, the things that that we work at, we're going to save ourselves and we're going to save the church and we're even going to save ourselves for the sake of God. And that the only thing we can't do is unlock that gate to get into heaven. So we need Jesus for that. But if he'll just take care of that, we've got the rest of this. We'll take care of the rest of it. I want to say this to you. You're my family. I want to say this to you. Because you're disciples of Jesus just like me. Do not believe this lie. It is the first lie that the evil one told Adam and Eve. When he said, you're not going to die. But you can be like God. He's telling them that they can do something 
to save themselves and that it might even be good and it might even help God. That's the first thing we notice. That this happens, this injustice happens because these people have bought into the lie that we can save ourselves. And if if we ever make light of the crucifixion and fail to understand it, it is because we have stopped relying on Jesus and we are attempting to save ourselves. But they're half right. They're half right, these insulting people. They say, he saved others. He did save others. Oh, he did save others. They get that right. You know, they say a busted clock is right twice a day, no matter what time zone you're in or savings time or whatever. These folks are right. He did save others. And Luke has shown us that. I mean, do you remember the stories? He saved lepers. He saved paralyzed people. He saved tax collectors. He saved people who were outcasts socially. He saved a widow who lost her son, who had no way to take care of herself, who was grieving the death of her her only child. He saved demon-possessed people. He saved people who were chronically sick. He raised the dead. He saved the blind. Well, the power was there. The power to do... How many times did he raise the dead? He raised Lazarus. He raised a young girl. He raised the widow's son. How many times did he show the power to do amazing miracles and wonders? That was the kingdom. That was the kingdom of God. No one can do that. Only only a person who has the authority of God's kingdom rule could do that. And yet, this one who saved others who is indeed Jesus' Messiah, the God's chosen one, the King, even as he is being crucified, he trusts in God and he saves another. Even as he is on the cross, he saves another. That second criminal who calls out the other one for insulting him, says to him, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, he recognizes the kingdom. He recognizes the power to save. And even though Jesus will not save himself because he trusts in God for justice, even though Jesus will not save himself, he still saves this other criminal. Now, I'm going to say something here, okay? Because we get hung up on this verse for all the wrong reasons. Because we're a little concerned that that thief on the cross was not baptized. Let me take care of it. I want to say, and I mean this all seriousness, baptism is important. Jesus was baptized. One of the first stories that we saw in the gospel was Jesus being baptized. Baptism is important because that's where we meet Jesus. That's, baptism is important because that's our crucifixion. We are buried. We are dead to our sins. We meet Jesus there. It is righteousness. It is the first step of a life given to Christ. We we need to be baptized. 
Because we need to be dead to the whole way of living that says we can save ourselves and do things our own way, which leads us to disaster. Okay, you say, that's, that's fine, preacher. I got an amen on that. Great. Okay. But what about this guy on the cross? Well, okay. If you, f- this is going to sound funny, but I mean it in all seriousness. If you find yourself crucified on a Roman cross next to Jesus, then I'd say this is an acceptable form of salvation, okay? I don't mean for that to be a joke, but, you know, that, that's, what I'm, that's my point. That man was being, he had his cross, literally, he was taking up his cross. What about you? Where is your cross? You see, we need baptism because we need to be rem- remembering that we are crucified. And that that's how we are saved because we realize we cannot save ourselves. Jesus trusts in God for justice and ringing out in this, and it even comes out of his own mouth, is when he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. There he is on the cross. He could save himself, but rather than trust in his own power for salvation, he turns to God. Later on in that same verse, uh, that same psalm, it says, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times... That means my years, my days are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemy. When you and I surrender to God in baptism, when you and I turn our lives over, this is what we're saying. We are following the example of Jesus. When you and I take up our cross, and by the way, it does the world no good for us to carry around a literal wooden cross. But we understand what Jesus means by that. That we are willing to take on the the obligation and the, the obedience of discipleship, that we are willing to be saved. That makes a huge difference, and it's better than us trying to save ourselves, which always leads to disaster. This is the spirit behind Jesus and the other man on the cross. The criminal trusts in Jesus. He repents and trusts in Jesus. Jesus trusts in God, and it will be up to God to work justice here. Because with the crucifixion of Jesus, there has been a horrible injustice. But the third thing to point out is this. That there are others in this story. Others like the the criminal who cries out for mercy. Others like that second criminal who beg for mercy, who say, Jesus, remember me. He says, I don't want to be forgotten. I don't want to be left out. And that man on the cross can do nothing except beg for the mercy of the Messiah. But then there's Simon who they force him to take that cross. And do you notice how Luke said it? He follows Jesus carrying that cross. It's interesting that over in Acts 11, later on you read that there were, that there were men from Cyrene, from, from Simon's own home country, colony, whatever it was, there on the coast of, of Africa, and they shared the gospel. Maybe that's where it all began. 
There were people like um, the centurion who, after this, this horrible scenario, this whole scene, recognized that a huge injustice had been committed. And he named it. And do you notice that the centurion doesn't just say, well, this was an innocent man. I guess we made mistake. But as Luke points out, he praises God. He gives glory to God. That's the first instant where the crucifixion of Jesus, which was meant to bring about shame upon Jesus, actually causes someone in this world to glorify God and to recognize that God is right. And then there's Joseph, who we're told is part of that that high council, the ones that that cooked up the charges against Jesus and committed this injustice by accusing him. But it says that Joseph never went along with what they did, and he at least can show the respect of burying Jesus. Maybe he also knows there needs to be a safe place for the resurrection to take place. I, I don't know. And then there's that man hanging on the cross who could have just cursed the world, blamed society for all of his problems, joined in with the taunting and the mocking, but instead he asks for mercy and asks Jesus to remember him. So what about you? Are you willing to carry a cross? Are you willing to confess injustice? The injustice that you're responsible for and the injustice in this world that causes this world to be broken all because people live their lives in the name of the philosophy of save yourself. Are you willing to go against the crowd like Joseph of Arimathea? Even if it's going to cost you dearly and do something costly for Jesus. Are you willing to just simply ask Jesus for mercy? Rather than focus on all the technicalities of the saving procedures like the Pharisees would have done, let's focus on what it means to repent of this save ourselves philosophy. Look at these other individuals like Simon and Joseph and the thief and the centurion. Look at them. Are you willing to follow Jesus along that same path? I want to leave you with this good news. You can't save yourself. And that is good news. It may not sound like good news. And I'm sorry to say that we cannot save ourselves. But that's the reality. The good news is that He saved others and He can save you. Not only can He save you, but hear this, okay? He's not only able to save you, he's willing to save you. And one of the messages of this story is that this bandit on the cross who's next to him, who's committed who knows what, but he admits that he deserves the death that he's getting on the cross. Jesus says, I will remember you and you'll be with me in paradise. Now, if Jesus wants to save that man, then don't you think that Jesus wants to save you? Are you willing to trust him? Now, as we sing this song, uh, there's, there's a lot of different things we can do. Some of you here, 
need to be baptized. You, you, you need that. It's the, it's the thing that maybe you've been putting it off, or maybe you're afraid that you shouldn't be baptized, or maybe you're afraid that God doesn't want to save you. Can I, can I just say that you've heard the gospel message. You've heard this message of first importance. Why would there be any doubt that you can't surrender to him, and, and that's taking up your cross? Some of you just need to reclaim your baptism. You need to say, yeah, yeah, I can, I can reclaim that. And, and you're, you're maybe worried right now that you've made too many mistakes. You're worried right now that, 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 uh, that, that you've gone too far. You haven't. You're not just once saved, you're being saved. We're constantly in the process of being saved. Saved from a broken world that feeds us lies like, you can save yourself. And some of us may have just heard for the first time today that we need to get out of the business of trying to of secure our own salvation and do things to save ourselves and others and just trust in him the way Jesus does. It's not easy. And you've got a lot of support right here. It's not easy. But it's good news and it's the truth. Will you trust in him? Let's stand and sing. Come let us know if you need anything this morning.